there was a very real possibility that Franklin Delano Roosevelt would be a one-term president. He had won the White House in 1932, elected in a landslide by an angry and desolate American citizenry that was quickly becoming jobless, homeless, and hungry. The Great Depression that had begun three years before, and the apparent inaction of the incumbent president Herbert Hoover, produced a wave that elected an unlikely candidate. Franklin Delano Roosevelt was a rich man who came from old money and had never really held a job out of financial necessity in his entire life. But his own battle with polio taught him a tragic lesson about being a victim of circumstances beyond his control and gave him the sympathy for and the understanding about the suffering of the American people that Hoover seemed to lack. He promised relief in the short run and jobs in recovery in the long run. His first term was a titanic struggle to put his plans into action. But as the president started gearing up for his second campaign for the White House in 1936, another leader emerged, one who told Americans that he would actually deliver on what FDR had only promised. And what's more, he would do it by sticking it to the class of Americans the people blamed for the economic calamity in the first place, the one the president himself belonged to, the rich. FDR was in trouble. Huey Long had won a seat in the United States Senate while still in office as Louisiana's governor. I can't lead a normal life, he had once told his wife. Once Huey had started pursuing political power, he would never stop, certainly not to be a good husband and father. He once left his son Russell at a movie they had gone to see, sneaking out as soon as the lights went down to meet with his political cronies. Russell took a streetcar home alone. Huey amassed dictatorial control over Louisiana in a very short time. He survived impeachment, neutralized his remaining opponents, and won a Senate seat. He became a driver of hard bargains. He is always trying to trade us a biscuit for a barrel of flour, one of his vanquished opponents complained. While the state and the country was deep in economic trouble, Huey held singular control over state jobs and lucrative contracts. The men who opposed him faced a stark choice. Get on board with Huey Long, or brace for financial disaster. Huey's biggest problem with being the kingfish of Louisiana was that he couldn't leave the state. His lieutenant governor, Paul Sir, was a committed enemy. Huey knew that if Sir could get his hands on gubernatorial power, he would dismantle the political machine Huey had built. Sir lurked in the shadows, itching for the chance to become acting governor. When Huey spent a night in Jackson, Mississippi, Sir hightailed it to Baton Rouge to assume the acting governorship, so Huey had to rush back over the state line and ultimately send National Guardsmen with machine guns to pry Sir out of his office. Huey had to cancel a trip to watch LSU play football at West Point because Sir wouldn't sign a written promise not to take over while the governor was away. Now that Huey had been elected to the Senate, his lieutenant governor had an even stronger case to make. Sir filed a lawsuit to oust Huey as governor in October 1930. He insisted that Huey had vacated the office upon being elected senator. I want Huey Long to get out of office as soon as possible, said Sir, so I can go in and straighten up this state 
and put an end to this debauchery. He got a friendly judge to administer the oath of office and went to the capital to take up his new post. Huey drove to Baton Rouge at 90 miles an hour with a gun stuck in his belt. Good thing he had all those new roads built at state expense. When he got there, he ordered the National Guard to surround the capital and keep the lieutenant governor out. State police relieved the guardsmen, and Huey ordered four LSU football players to be on the lookout for Sir and physically throw him out of the building if he showed up. Sir realized he wasn't going to win this one and went home to his dental practice. But Huey wasn't done. He claimed that Sir had vacated the office of lieutenant governor by taking the oath of office as governor, and since his oath was illegal, he held neither job. Huey said, he is no longer lieutenant governor, and he is now nothing. He appointed a loyal supporter to Sir's office and ordered that Sir no longer receive a salary from the state. Huey went to court to argue that other governors had delayed their entrance into the Senate so they could finish out their state terms. He said that there was nothing in the state constitution giving the courts the power to remove the governor, so Sir's lawsuit was invalid. The judge agreed, and Sir's suit was dismissed. A prolonged newspaper ran a story stating that Sir had as much chance of being installed or elected governor of Louisiana as a Texas billy goat had of making a non-stop jump to the planet Mars. The History of North America podcast is a sweeping historical saga of the United States, Canada, and Mexico, from their deep origins to our present epoch. Join me, Mark Vinette, on this exciting, fascinating, epic journey through time, focusing on the compelling, wonderful, and tragic stories of North America's inhabitants, heroes, villains, leaders, environment, and geography. The History of North America podcast series is an incredible historical adventure that chronicles the thrilling, action-packed tale of a continent. I invite you to come along for the ride. In order for Huey to feel safe leaving Louisiana to take up his Senate seat, he needed a successor as governor who would do whatever he was told. He found the perfect man for the job. Oscar Kelly Allen was silver-haired, friendly, and harmless. He followed Huey's orders like an obedient Cocker Spaniel. The two were old friends from the same hometown, and as Huey's star rose, O.K. Allen followed along behind. This mild fellow was a victim in search of a bully. He was often cussed out in public by Huey Long and berated by his overbearing wife when he got home. It was said that, between Huey and his wife, old Oscar really used to catch it. But quiet, modest, forgetful O.K. Allen got rich being Huey's friend. Whenever Huey needed someone to follow his orders to the letter, he appointed O.K. to the job. As a reward, he let O.K. in on some of his speculative ventures. Huey the extrovert drew public ire, while O.K. stayed silent in the background and reaped the rewards. The Louisiana gubernatorial election of 1931 was all about Huey, even though he wasn't a candidate. His own brother Earl coveted the lieutenant governor's spot, but Huey supported someone else, 
which led to Earl calling Huey out for a fight in front of the Roosevelt Hotel in New Orleans. When asked why he wasn't supporting his own brother's candidacy, Huey said, If you live long enough, he'll double-cross you. He'd double-cross Jesus Christ if he was down here on Earth. O.K. Allen was running against Dudley LeBlanc, a long-time, pun intended, opponent of Huey Long. At a campaign stop in a small town west of Baton Rouge, Huey and LeBlanc parked their sound trucks on the main street, cranked up the volume, and brought the entertainment that was a staple of Louisiana politics. You pronounce LeBlanc's name by trying to grunt like a hog, Huey bellowed to the crowd, and changing your mind halfway through. The election was described as ignorant and meaningless a campaign as was ever staged in Louisiana history, which was saying something. But it was meaningless, because the outcome was assured from the start. O.K. Allen won in a landslide. In St. Bernard Parish, which was run by a crooked, prolonged sheriff, Allen received over 3,000 votes, even though there were only 2,000 registered voters in the parish, and the other candidates got zero. The sheriff had told Huey that the opposition might get two votes, but when the parish went unanimously for Allen, the sheriff told him that the two voters had changed their minds at the last minute. Huey promised state-building projects to win over support in hostile parishes, and while he couldn't persuade or buy, he cheated. A voter in New Orleans claimed to have pulled the lever for Huey's candidates 20 times. Predictably, most of Huey's preferred candidates won their elections, packing the state legislature with men who would pass whatever laws he wanted. And in the governor's chair was a fellow so agreeable and pliant that it was said when a leaf blew onto his desk through an open window, O.K. obligingly signed it. With the state of Louisiana in his pocket, Huey figured it was finally safe for him to leave for Washington. O.K. Allen hadn't been sworn in yet, but Paul Sears' replacement was able to take over as acting governor. So Huey Long went to Washington. We couldn't keep train wrecks on the tracks without you. Please visit support.historystrainwrecks.com for all the ways you can help keep train wrecks on the tracks. In January 1932, Jim Watson, the Senate Majority Leader, was whirled around in his chair and slapped on the chest with an open palm. Jim, a booming voice, said, I want to get acquainted with you. Well, the stunned senator replied, who in hell are you? I am Huey Long, the new senator from Louisiana said. Huey started breaking Senate rules right away by smoking a huge cigar in the chamber, which he placed on a senator's desk so he could keep his right hand free to take his oath of office. He spent only one day in the nation's capital, taking a train back to Baton Rouge. He stopped in New Orleans and told reporters that Washington, D.C. was the farthest spot from the United States I've seen. Huey had reason to hurry back. Paul Sir went to Baton Rouge as soon as he heard Huey was out of the state, claiming that Huey's swearing in at the Senate meant that Sir was now governor. The Louisiana Supreme Court had decided that Sir had no legal claim to the governorship, but the former lieutenant governor set up an office in a hotel and took the oath as governor for a second time. Huey called the hotel and had the pretend governor evicted, after which Sir went back home again. 
Alvin King, Sears replacement and acting governor until O.K. Allen could be sworn in, ordered the National Guard stationed at the governor's mansion in case Paul Sear decided to take a third swing at the piñata. With this second revolt quelled, it was time for Huey to take up his duties as the junior senator from Louisiana. The United States Senate would never be the same. We'll pick up Huey Long's Senate antics in a future episode. The same flamboyant outlandishness that propelled him to total control over Louisiana attracted national attention. And with FDR's New Deal slow going, Huey saw an opportunity for himself as the new champion of the people. The same tactics that worked in Louisiana might just make Huey Long President of the United States. We'll dig into that in The Most Dangerous Man in America, Part 4. On our next episode, King George III's American colonists were up to no good in 1774, turning Boston Harbor into the world's largest tea kettle to protest the Crown's tax-raising measures. It was time to hold them accountable, and as luck would have it, the King had the most famous American in the world right there in London. So Benjamin Franklin was summoned to appear before the King's Privy Council in an octagonal room that Henry VIII had once used for cockfights. It has been said that he went into that room an Englishman and came out an American. Stay tuned for Ben Franklin in the Cockpit.